Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I think we may have bungled this week in terms of pod release. Yeah, every... um, what would you say? Like every Saturday or Sunday, you know, we text a lot, but you know, over the weekend we'll text and say, "Okay, what are you, what are you thinking this week in terms of the day to to record?" Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. This was kind of one of those weeks where like there's stuff going on, and I just I didn't push back. You just said Tuesday, and uh, I just let it be. I just thought and it was I a good idea, it, and it, it was probably a mistake because there's things on Wednesday that now we're going to miss out on. And, uh, but if they go, shame. if it's they sad. go as we expect them to, there would not be a lot to say. Let's be honest. But sports, sports, JJ. They have that ability to shock. Yes. Uh, this should be a fun show that we have coming up for you. Um, kind of, a, I guess, a little bit of a different show because there's not like a ton necessarily to react to in terms of on the field. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the really, really dramatic scenes. As Aston Villa go through and upset Leicester City to advance to Wembley. Yeah, the cup the... competitions don't matter anymore, do they? Well, tell that to the people at, in Aston Villa tonight because That's the whole point. What a scene. Um, so we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Liverpool's handling of the FA Cup because it's really kind of divided opinion. And even I myself, um, I hate not having a strong feeling one way or another on something that we're going to talk about. But I'm going to need to kind of talk through my feelings on it, and and you'll you'll help me land on a right. side. Uh, so we got that. Um, uh, what to watch for? Nice looking week weekend coming up in the Premier League. Also a little Madrid derby. Uh, so yeah, we'll check in on the U.S. men out at the January camp. Red cards, man of the match. Although you told me that you just gave up on trying to find a man of the match, which is just sad, quite I, frankly. Honestly, I do not have one. Hey, you know what? Don't force it. I couldn't. I'm I fine really with it. couldn't. I'm fine with it. There was a number of issues. I thought it was going to ram into it, and then I decided I'm not doing it. I really can't. It would be forced. It wouldn't make sense, but we got a really good mailbag, I think. Oh, yeah. I saw some of the questions. You were kind enough to show them to me. Uh, it's rare that I'm actually afraid to tell you something, and this is one of those moments. I've actually been dreading this moment for a while, for a few days now. And you've waited for this moment. Yeah, I figured, you know what? Uh, if I'm going to tell them, uh, let me just tell them on the show. You're telling tens of thousands of people. So you, you and I, we've made it really clear, um, I don't know if on the podcast, but certainly to each other, that we have wanted to go see 1917. So I texted you. You absolute. <laughs> so I texted you last week. You haven't. And I said, hey, man, uh, I think I can go out Friday night, uh, so let's go see it. And then you had some sort of holiday party uh, in late January, which is My girlfriend works for a, a thing, tech company. They, they have their, their launch into 2020. Clearly, you had made up some no, ridiculous no, 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 no. excuse. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Just just tell the truth. I had something, and I couldn't get out of it. Uh, you called it a holiday party. It was late January. I, I felt like I had been lied to. I was hurt. I was vulnerable. Um, <laughs> not, not that vulnerable. So... Total transparency. So then I I had the the night. Like, you know, it's one of those nights where I had said to Amanda, look, I'm going to be going out Friday night. I thought with you, but it wasn't. So I was like, well, you know what? She, I'm out. So let me just text my other buddy. So I text my buddy Shaq. And I was like, hey, what are you doing tonight? Like, you want to meet up? We'll go get a few drinks. That's all I said. And he said, yeah, sure. Let's. We had a place picked out and everything. Like an hour before we met, he sends me a text message. That says, hey, man, I want to call an audible. Let's go see 1917. And I sat there 
and I stared at my phone and I was truly afraid of the moment and I I succumbed to the moment and I wrote back and I said, yeah, let's let's go. You're an <laughs> Oh, yeah. Keep marking the swears because they're coming. You're a type. <laughs> Stop. You're, Stop. You're just a big <laughs> Stop. All right. All right. Let's I go. Was, I, I've not. No, no, no. I'm not going to do it. It was so good. I'll see it again with you. I promise. You'll see it again on your own. I'm not going with you. So this is a thing now. Betrayal. No, I'll still see it with you, but I will. It was. I will judge you throughout. It was sensational, and I don't care what what sort of uh, feedback we got when we said the same things about Dunkirk. The people who disagreed with us. I, I can't imagine anyone seeing this and and disagreeing with how unbelievable a movie going experience it was. And I want you to see it because I want to talk about it with you. And I just feel awful. I said to Amanda, uh, after my buddy sent me the message, I texted her right away and I said, JJ is not going to like this. I thought about just lying outright and just going on acting like I had never seen it. And then I'll just see it a second time with you. But I I thought it would be better to be honest. Oh, he's rolling up his sleeves. What, are you going to hit me? Let's get on with the podcast now. I'm upset. You're actually upset. I'm not. I can. I can I'm feel not, it. You know and, what? And, uh, look, you, you're you have every right to be upset because we had clearly said that it was a thing we were going to do together. I wasn't expecting things to go the way that they went. My friend is really to blame. Uh, so take it up with him. I actually exonerate myself completely. Uh, all right, let's get into you're, it. You're very kind to yourself, aren't you? Let's get into it now. Um, you know what? I, I was going to say let's start with the Liverpool stuff and the FA Cup, but maybe just the immediacy of that win for Aston Villa. Should we start there? Yes, let's do that. Yeah, what a scene it was tonight. Here, here's how it ended in extra time. Four minutes of extra time. This was like, what, three minutes into stoppage time. Um, the winner from Trezeguet. El Mohamedi. That's a better ball. Oh, Trezeguet! Oh, the roar. Watching that final goal, it was one of those things to me where the ball from El Mahamedi was sensational. And sometimes you, like, in your mind, you feel like there are only certain guys that can do that, that can play a ball like that. You know, Kevin De Bruyne. Like, we just have this idea of the guy who can play in the perfect It was a De Bruyne-style ball. It was, yeah. But, like, you're reminded, oh, wait. These are all professionals at the highest level. And I don't care who it is, if it's De Bruyne or El Mohamedi, you just, in that situation, you can't give a guy that much space. You just, I'm just watching it thinking, when are they going to close him down? When are they going to close him down? And then he, they don't. And he plays in the ball and it's perfect, inch perfect, great finish. And it's Villa that are now going through and Leicester in this, Remarkable season that they're having. It felt like this could have been a possible opportunity for them to get some silverware out of it, and now they will not. Yeah, it, I'm not going to climb all over Brendan Rodgers or use this as a as a chance to point out maybe some of his cup failings with Liverpool. But there there is a certain feel about that loss tonight that that mirrors what happened at Anfield, particularly in 2015 against Aston Villa, when they certainly should have kicked on and, and done something. Um, in a semi-final um, the first goal was excellent too Jack Grealish with the back heel and uh, Target with a, a superb volley Villa, Villa tonight looked like I mean it was a it was a game where Leicester had their chances uh, Neuland made an unbelievable save mm. to deny was it Harvey Barnes that had, no Tielemans had the shot and he's tipped it onto the crossbar so I mean I suppose in that respect Villa rode their luck somewhat but uh Wait for this, Andrew. So um, I got this last week and I never got a chance to read it out. Hey, lads, just wanted to send a quick message. I did help a fan last year and you guys gave me Aston Villa. 
I gotta say that supporting Villa has made my Premier League experience worldwide this season. The ups and downs are unmatched. I've been watching soccer for a while and have been a big team supporter for a while and I'm more excited to get to watch Villa games nowadays than any other fixtures. Wow. Just wanted to validate your help a fan segment. Oh, that's great. Imagine what he's feeling like tonight. Chris Lewis. There you go. Help a fan. Actually helping fans. I do believe that people have, like, I'm not saying 100% of people, but we get messages from time to time of people that have stuck with it. That's great, and it's for nights like this that I'm happy that we do it. Uh, Villa Park, by the way, the noise, it is, it used to be the home of the of the semifinals. There used to always be, a, it was a neutral ground semifinal for the FA Cup, and you kind of wonder if they should take the semifinals away from Wembley again, and it should be just the final. That's played at Wembley, and the semifinals in places like Villa, that can create these amazing atmospheres, probably better than Wembley can, or at least the new Wembley can. Yeah, and... You couldn't help but be because, and we're going to get to the Liverpool FA Cup angle of this in a moment. But I don't know. There couldn't be. You couldn't help, even if you're not a, a Villa fan necessarily. You kind of had to smile when, over the last few days, the sport has kind of just had this cloud hanging over it of cups don't matter, cups don't matter, cups don't matter. No more magic in the FA Cup, League Cup. They should get rid of it. So you couldn't help but see that ground at the full time whistle and fans streaming out onto the pitch and just like mobbing players and celebrating as though they didn't even, I mean, they're going to Wembley and it's an amazing day out for a club that just bounced back from, from uh, the second tier. Right. But like, what an incredibly memorable night but Andrew, this club. But that's the point of people who are against cutting cup competitions. You're cutting one more avenue for joy for somebody who's not a big club. You are slowly but surely creating this funnel where there is only siphoned off the very best teams and the rest are left to their own devices. And, mm-hmm. and we kind of can't have that in football. There's got to be more avenues for cups and for teams to feel like they matter and that they can win something. Yeah. Um, and look, it's, it's a conflicting thing. I said at the start of the show that I'm kind of conflicted on it and I, I want to talk it through um, to kind of really figure out where I stand on it because you and I, like you and I, we can sit here in this moment watching Aston Villa fans celebrating like that and it's very easy for us to say this is why it matters. But we're also the same two people who, that sit here week after week and talk about the disease of more. Too I, much football, I, I, too much football. I do think that, Andrew, but uh, most of the time, and let's be fair to ourselves, most of the time when we do talk about too much football, it's about made-up extended competitions like the World Club Cup, or, for example, more international football that we talk about. Yeah, that We don't like, always focus on this because I'm the one that has said to you, I do like the League Cup format. It's a nice, compact team format. <laughs> I've said that before. And it's over. Because you hate lower league it's football. It's over in, in, in uh, I mean, non-league football mm-hmm. would, would suffer if the FA Cup went by the wayside. Um, but it's just this vortex of interest and money and... TV and eyeballs towards the Premier League and the Champions League that is creating a real problem because these cup competitions do not matter. They are incidental. It's 3.6, sorry, 5 million US dollars, 3.6 million pounds sterling to win the FA Cup. I mean, in the modern game with the TV money you get for finishing in the top four and then the Champions League... It's nothing. But when, we can talk about the money, and 
But okay, the money that, is, that matters to certain to a select few people. Like that matters to the chairman, to ownership of, of these clubs. Um, that like, fan, why would a fan care about that? Like, why are people? Like, I, I don't want to hear from a fan who says, "Well, I well, chose not fans? to." We need to talk about which fans. Well, 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 I was going to talk about Manchester City because you know they Pep Guardiola was not pleased with that fan base because they did not show up in the numbers that they're accustomed to seeing for. Any game at still, that, still, with that club. Still 39,000. Yeah, on, on a team that averages this year roughly 54. Um, so, you know, there's still like 15,000 under what they're, you know, you saw the pictures. There was no one in the upper level. Like, mm. it looked ridiculous. Um, so, like, okay, the chairman can think, can say to Pep, don't put out a full squad or whatever because the money's just not worth it for this thing. We need to make sure we're going full bore on finishing top four or winning the Champions League or whatever. But, like, I don't want to hear a fan say, well, I chose not to go to that game because my team's only going to be walking away with three point six million I, if they win. Who? Why would a fan ever care about that? I read uh, Ollie Kay's article in on the Athletic today, and he did make, I think, two points that are important about the Man City case. First of all, Man City have played a lot of matches since the beginning of December, like a huge amount. And it's a lot to ask fans to come out and pay again into a competition like that. Mm -hmm. And also, rich manager, multi-millionaire manager, uh, admonishing fans for not turning up for another game. He's going to want them there tomorrow night for the game. Well, here here is what he said, so we can actually hear his words on it. This was Pep uh, speaking after Manchester City beat Fulham in the FA Cup. Well, it's a semi-final second leg, a chance to to come back to Wembley for three years in in a row. Hopefully our fans... Can come more people than today. Hopefully, can can support us more and uh, make an intelligent game to to qualify for for the final. Did you feel today that there wasn't as many fans here that you, as you would have liked? Yeah, I was not full. I don't know the reason why, but it was not full. Yeah. There's also something else that Pep probably needs to factor in. Pep, you're the manager of Manchester City, and in a decade they've gone from nothing relegate perennial relegation candidates to this super club. Mm-hmm. You know they don't have the same fan base as Manchester United. You're going, you're going to the well, particularly in, in I would imagine in Manchester itself. You're going to the well for the same fans again to put their hands in their pockets to buy tickets and go again. You know you can't just suddenly make them Bayern Munich or or Liverpool or even Arsenal with huge support. Aren't they're not even Newcastle when it comes to support in that sense. And that's not a knock on them. That's just the recent elevation that they've had. So I think Pep should lay off. The fans and I would give Manchester City fans a pass in two, this regard. Two quick things along those lines. First off, it's worth pointing out um, ticket prices for that game at the Etihad in Manchester. Um, for adults, it was it ranged anywhere from ten pounds to thirty five pounds. For uh, people under the age of eighteen, depending on where you sat, it ranged from one pound to twenty pounds. Now, look, I don't have a great sense of what a game. To go see a game there typically costs. Well, if I can if tell you compared to Premier, American prices, that's pretty damn good. Uh, pound, yeah, but that's... Uh, the pound is also worth more than a dollar. Yeah, I and I think... I mean, I don't know what the average for Manchester City is. It's certainly more expensive at the at the London clubs. But like for a Premier League game, it's up there. And if, you're, if you've been going to a lot of those, you might take a pass on going to the FA like Cup. A, if a father, you're going to save your money for this one. For the for the midweek game, but I'm semi-final. just saying, if a father and son went, and let's say you know, so let's say the dad paid twenty pounds for his ticket, kid is under eighteen, so that's let's say ten pounds, so right in the middle of that one to twenty range. 
30 pounds for the two of them to go see Manchester City play in the FA Cup? That, yeah, and, and, that and everything that goes with it, Andrew. You're going to have food. Well, I don't look. You're going to go for beers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, look, I don't know. Let's not get into the, the the economics of it. But I think if I'm a Manchester City fan, to 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 give them some credit, and they're eyeing the game that they're going to go and go full bore and splash the money on, it's going to be tomorrow night's game. I mean, these games happen within days of each yeah, other. Yeah, here's the thing, and with, it's, it's a, with stuff like this because uh, it also came up in college football. Uh, where, I mean, you could almost replace Pep Guardiola with Nick Saban, who earlier this year kind of admonished Alabama fans for not showing up in the numbers or leaving early from games and yeah. things like that. Um, and I think part of the reason is you're Manchester City. You are now at an echelon where you are among, you know, they're spoken of in the same breath of, you know, PSG and Barcelona, Real Madrid, whoever, like Bayern Munich, like they're in that echelon. So if, you, if you're going to go to one of these games, like what is... Where is the joy, I guess, in it for the fan? In that if you beat up on Fulham in the FA Cup, okay, well, you've only gone and done what you better damn well have done. And if you go and lose, well, now, you, now you've paid to go see something that was, you know, like a, but, a, tr- a devastating but, loss. But, but, like, there was, there's really almost no fun. But, but, but let's... Don't, Forget the games for a second. Let's talk about the competition. Mm -hmm. Because that's ultimately what it's about. And I was on YouTube the other day, and there's a brilliant series that I grew up watching called Match of the 70s, 80s, 90s. They do Match of the 90s. And so I went back to, to remind myself of how big a deal it was to win the League and Cup double. Arsenal in 97, 98. United in 99 with the treble. The FA Cup was this amazing piece of silverware. And there was all these stories. And I think... The bigger clubs debasing that competition by putting out weakened teams, okay, right, put put out weakened teams. But the constant carping about the competition has ebbed away at it. We're 20 years since Manchester United decided that they wouldn't enter the tournament for political reasons. I mean, they decided they wouldn't defend their FA Cup because, albeit the English FA, wanted them at the World Club, the inaugural World Club Cup, because... England was bidding for the World Cup in 2006 and it would have looked very bad if they hadn't shown up. Anyway, if they had known how FIFA operated, that wouldn't have worked. But we're 20 years from that, Andrew. But it was even ebbing away a little bit before that. The Premier League has just swallowed English football to an unbelievable extent. It's absolutely crazy. Can I ask you, maybe I just don't have a great grasp on this. Um, You know, We joke about how history begins with the Premier League and whatever 1992. (laughs) But, But like, how come... The Premier League is like there. I mean, there was a first division before that. How come the FA Cup could still be important when the first division existed? But when the Premier League came in, all of a sudden the FA Cup doesn't mean as much. I don't get it. But you see, TV drove everything. Like there was only so many live games prior to the the Premier League. Then you could buy a package from Sky that gave you so many games. Like look at all the games I watched at the weekend between BT and Sky Sports back home. Right. That meant a lot of people stayed at home and watched Premier League TV instead of going down to see Bury or Macclesfield or whoever else, Bolton Wanderers. And that has had a contraction. And so um, you have hours and hours of TV on your screen showing you quote-unquote, the best football in the world. Okay. And it sucked interest away from the lower levels. Miguel Delaney did a great piece um, that you can still... It's it's his pinned tweet on Twitter about how this drive towards getting to the Premier League because of TV money, and TV itself, is just changing um, the lower leagues in a way that we've never seen before. 
and that lower league football is in danger of, of, of dying out. I was at home watching the championship games over Christmas. The league games. Games that matter. Uh-huh. You wouldn't believe how many empty seats there are at some grounds. You just wouldn't. There are the top teams that are vying for promotion, like the Leeds and the and the um, whoever else is up there, Fulham or, you know, and, and their grounds are, are full. Leeds have a great traditional travelling support anyway. I Birmingham, teams like that, Andrew, just empty seats. Mm. That's, that is sad. It, that is sad. It's extremely sad. And um, me and you are, are part, we're not really part of the problem. I, I guess we're only going so many years, but like... Shows that only talk mm-hmm. about the Premier League. Shows that don't talk about other leagues drive interest towards the Premier League. And Look, the top flight is always going to have that allure. That's where you want to be. But there's this arms race where clubs are bankrupting themselves to get close to that because the money is so big. And we'll talk later about clubs bankrupting themselves to remain a part of it. Uh, that will come up. This is just well. one one more thing to finish off the conversation. Um the pro- this is from Ali K's piece. The problem is that while the Premier League will generate $9.2 billion in, broadca- in broadcast revenue over the current three-year cycle, only $16.1 million a year, that's 700000 per club, makes it down to League One. These are known as solidarity payments, which is strange really because there never seems to be much solidarity between the mega elite and the rest. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. So this leads into the Liverpool element of this, where um, Jurgen Klopp has basically drawn his line in the sand. Uh, Liverpool and Shrewsbury Town tied 2-2. There will be a replay uh, during what has been designated as the Premier League's winter break. Uh, Jurgen Klopp is... By the way, had you forgotten about that? That this was a thing happening? yeah. Full disclosure, yes, I had. I had completely forgotten (laughs) until Jurgen started talking about the letter that was sent. Honestly, yeah. I was like, what are you on about, Jurgen? So you're, so for anyone who also forgot about it, uh, Liverpool and all the clubs were basically told to not schedule any matches, friendlies, anything. Don't go abroad, don't do anything. Over this winter break, this is supposed to be what it is, a break. Um, but by the same token, there was also a letter sent out from the FA saying that, oh, by the way, should there be FA Cup replays, uh, they may occur over this winter break. Um, Which is like... What are they supposed to do, though? You know, you can't push it any further back. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you. Um, here is let, let's listen to Jurgen Klopp. He was talking about some of this. He's fed up. He's just fed up with the schedule. This was straight after the game, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Here he is. Know that since a couple of weeks that we that it's like this, or actually we knew it longer because it was always clear when we when they when um, we came through into the next round uh, that it will be like this. But in April 2019, we got a uh, a letter from the Premier League, I think, um, where they ask us to respect the winter break, not to organize um, international friendlies or not to organize competitive games, and we respect that. So I said the boys already um, uh, two weeks ago that we will, if there's a, we will have a winter break. So it means the we will uh, we will not be there. It will be the kids who play that game because you cannot deal with us like um, nobody cares about it. I know that's um, not very popular, but um, that's the way I see it. And um, how I said, the Premier League asks us to, to respect the winter break. That's what we do. If then the FA doesn't respect it, we cannot change that. But um, we will not be there. Does that mean you will be there as well? Yeah. My reaction to that is, first of all, he's clearly angry. 
the first thing I thought was, Jürgen, why does this need to be said? You know, why does he have to put it on the record that it's going to be the kids? It was largely the kids against against Shrewsbury. I would argue in the replay at Anfield on a good pitch, you're going to need to get minutes for more players that are coming back. I, I, I don't necessarily see it as this massive problem, but it's a point of principle for him. And for those who say, oh, well, you know, it wouldn't be like that if... If it was a Champions League extra, it would. Klins, or Klinsman. Klopp has been very clear about this from the start. He believes there's too much football and it's a player welfare issue for him. He, he was the one that reacted, was it, um, to the announcement that they, would, they were considering extra Champions League, like four extra Champions League games. And he called it absolute bull****. That's what he said. He's on record. He, he, it, it is a complete player welfare issue for, for him. And unfortunately... It'll be weaponized as, as some kind of tribal thing amongst fans on Twitter in particular about Klopp complaining. But he's been quite consistent on this. Well, he went on now, to say... Yeah, go on. Let me read this to you. He went on to say, I don't want to be in the middle of all these discussions. I'm not a revolution guy who wants to show the whole world how strong I can be. It's absolutely not the reason. But, JJ, he continued by saying, if we find a way to do it, as in play with our regular players, then nothing will change. And I think all people in football agree that all things need to change. So he's saying, I'm not a revolution guy, but oh, by the way, that's exactly what I need to be in this situation to make things better for the other teams. Now, who he's making things better for, like we've talked about, is the vortex at the top. Like, right. That, he's trying to be a champion for for the upper echelon of the upper echelon, uh, the 1%, basically. Uh, he, probably unbeknownst, not he's not deliberately championing the elite, but that's exactly who but he's But that's who benefits from what he is trying line, to accomplish. The bottom line, let's talk about Shrewsbury. Uh, the way the FA Cup is done is that they're, they'll go to, they'll travel to Anfield, Andrew, and they'll get 45% of the gate. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just, as we've seen, that is, from the figures, that is unbelievable revenue that they cannot make anywhere else. Not from TV, not from sponsorship, unless some kind, some kind of uh, sugar daddy comes in and takes them over. And that's the important part. We can't think about football as just being Liverpool, Spurs. And I know last season, towards the end of it, on this podcast, that's probably what it became. But those were the compelling stories. But football isn't structured like that in England. It, it, it's different in Germany, where you have you know reserve teams playing in the lower leagues. It's, it's not the case here. There's a football pyramid that Liverpool were once a part of the lower divisions too. They came up. You know, and it's important to maintain it. We can't be so blinkered as to just think about the elite clubs. Well, we've had these same conversations talking about English and international football. How, you know, before the, the Southgate revolution, you know, post-Iceland, or, you know, when, when there was all, like, the heartache in England over international football and people saying it's become boring here, no one cares about it anymore. You know, we said, again, like... Like it's very easy for EPL fans of Manchester United and Arsenal and Man City to say those things, but like this was kind of a moment for lower level clubs and fans of those teams to kind of feel like they're a part of some of these players, and and you know they're a part of of upper level soccer as well. You know, so you're, you're so right. right. We, we do see things through this top six colored glasses, um, and it, it it is bothersome. Like I do feel. You know, like even Aston Villa, like they're a Premier League club, and look what, look what the, the League Cup getting to a final, not even winning the final. Look what it meant to them. So, I don't know. I've kind of grown, I kind of grown a little bit tired of hearing 
the whining from, I mean, from the mega elite. I mean, so far, this season, I'm not saying this to troll you. This season, it's it's been coming from Liverpool. It's been coming from Klopp, and and to a certain extent, I, I got it certainly over what happened to them with the League Cup and the Club World Cup because they were put in an impossible. Wouldn't situation. it have been an amazing thing though? Wouldn't it have been just this stunning thing? kind of in keeping with the working class ethos and the special ethos of Liverpool if they said we're not going to Qatar we're not we're going to play in the Football League Cup against Aston Villa it would have been amazing but they went the other direction with it it's not the economics of it though I guarantee you FSG FSG would not have wanted that yeah and look I don't know I don't know what the answer is other than to say uh, to me do you you want to stop doing replays I mean, can, well, can we just have but, a but, game that goes to extra time? But or? again, but again um, Andrew, again, I'm, I'm quoting from Ali K's piece. You know, the FA Cup has, they've made, you know, compromises. There's no replays in the semifinal, right. the quarterfinal, or the fifth round. So, and, and again, like I said, if the replay is important to, how much more ground are you going to take away from the little guy here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We're at an impasse. I'm not entirely pleased with... with with and I will fall afoul of the of the Kloppites. Um I love Jurgen Klopp, but I just disagree with him on this one. I disagree on the fundamental point of player welfare and too much football, but I don't think that attacking the domestic cup competitions was the way to go. Yeah, I'll be honest, I I'm a little bit annoyed with them in this. Okay. But they're not like I get that you know, when you're great, you have a lot of you're fighting on a lot of fronts. I understand that. They're not the first team to have to go through this. The Club World Cup is maybe a little bit of, of a different st- uh, circumstance, but they handled that by playing but a by reserve way, team. Andrew, like I, I just like yeah, this is this just, is the way it is. There are replays if you don't take care of business against the lower league team that you're playing against. Like you know, Liverpool should, but, if they didn't want to have to deal with this, they should have won that game. But Andrew, I don't think him not being there is going to make this great point that he thinks it is about the FA Cup. It's just going to damage well, and look, diminish. Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury's night a little bit. I think the conversation that's prompted is probably going to go right to the very top in the FA, but it's been there since Wenger. I, Wenger used to complain about the Christmas period all the time. All the time. I've been hearing this for 25 years now. I wonder if some of this attitude from Liverpool has to do with the fact that, you know, if they had lost a game earlier this season and that, you know, that was the only difference of the year so far, I wonder if things would be different. Like, I wonder if because they're unbeaten, and they feel they're starting to feel like, oh my God, we can we can actually do something this year truly historic that'll be talked about forever. The way Arsenal's Invincibles are, uh, but they can maybe even do it better. You know, finish with more points than Arsenal. Um, yeah, I feel like they're they're embracing that challenge, which I respect. Um, but I wonder if that wasn't the case, maybe none of this would be an issue for them. I but th- I feel like because they're treating every game now like it's a cup final because they they so badly want to finish this season unbeaten, you know, it's put such an emphasis on these other competitions and something has to go to the back burner and it's it's these domestic cups. I think he could he could go to Anfield, stand in the dugout against Shrewsbury, play that mixture of young players and a couple of veterans who need minutes and just get on with it. Honestly, that's how I feel. Yeah. I'd like to feel some other way. I want to win the league desperately and the Champions League if possible. But I I I think he was I think he's he's called this one I think doing it straight after the game and in the tone that he did it in. I think he should have saved it for the presser today and said, "Look, I'm not happy about things. I've I I 
keep complaining. We had this letter last year. Nothing is changing. Made another vocal protest and just got on with things. I mean, they're going to win the league by a thousand points. Like, you could rotate your squad in some of these Premier League games too. You could. I don't know. It's tricky. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know, but I don't like it. I'll be honest. We're heading down a road where it'll the breakaway to 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 super club league. Oh boy, it's happening. It's happening. (laughs) Don't don't be like that. Sorry. So defeatist. I would love to go back to 1997. Do you know I used when I used to do uh, little bits for Copa 90. There was a guy who worked there called. um, I actually don't know what his name was. They just called him Dash. And he was English. And he used to say to me, you love the 90s. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Well, yeah, that's always been true uh, of you. You you kind of scoff at some of the deficiencies of the modern game. But you know what? Like, don't you think there were people who grew up watching soccer in the 70s who in the 90s felt the same way? I think you always romanticize yeah, sure. the sport, sports of your youth. But there, I actually think that maybe around the mid-90s, in terms of the balance of all the competitions, I think we hit a sweet spot. And now it's just gone too too Premier League-centric. And that hadn't happened yet, you're saying? No, because... Late, late 90s? No, no, because say, say like 94, 95, I remember, I remember 94, Villa beating Manchester United in the, in the Coca-Cola, which was the Carabao Cup League final in Wembley. And it was absolutely massive for Villa to do it and United took it so seriously and United losing the cup final to Everton in 95 the following year was just awful like but like that I know we can we always we do this every year the third fourth rounds of the FA Cup we have this conversation and then what happens by the time we get to the semifinals and finals we care again like yeah. it, you know if I'm trying to think of the teams that are left I was going to say if Everton were to upset Liverpool in an FA Cup final don't you that would be massive now sure. unfortunately that happened in the third round in a game where Liverpool didn't even try to win and still did but like there could still be narratives at the end of the FA Cup that we would talk about forever the double it was such a thing to do you were such a dominant team in England if you did the double and I'm now I'm wondering now we've got a team that's not even bothered. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, let's see, JJ. We've got more. We're going to do a little check-in on the U.S. coming up in a sec. But before we do that, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple. It's fast. It's smart. And growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Zip recruiter. That's right, JJ, because I want to tell you that Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz. Dylan! Yeah. Well, he experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, Mocha Joe's. That's right, Mocha Joe. But Dylan's Uh, coffee was warm. (laughs) Right. The goose test. Did the goose test. Put your nose in it. Passed the test. Uh, But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference, and you can too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you and its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his zip recruiter, his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. Beautiful. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get Sorry. a quality candidate within the first day. Sorry. Dylan Miskovitz can find a director of coffee yeah. and United still have Ed Woodward Doing their transfers. Wow. We'll talk about him in a minute, too. Yeah, not good. Uh, ZipRecruiter, JJ. It's the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free 
at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's O-F-F-S-I-D-E. Hey, buddy boy, there is a request. Okay. Robert in California that got you the... Robert California? Robert in California. The character that, from The Office. That got you the fedora? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why aren't you doing the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup drops? You are killing the cup competitions by ignoring the drops. Bang. Bang. Not like, don't do it like that. That's egregious. I have him right here. I was born to play those drops. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, you mentioned Ed Woodward. Something truly troubling occurred at his his home in uh, Cheshire. We'll talk about that. Also, a little check-in on the U.S. as well. Don't go anywhere. God, 25 years. 25 years ago. I got I got proper nostalgic about that. And, and people, I put up the audio of Jonathan Pierce on Capital Radio FM doing the commentary. What a call. What? Have you ever heard anything as sanctimoniously brilliant as that? I care not one jot about his supreme talent. Well, I think he actually, like, you're right, I get what you're saying, but I do think he actually captures perfectly the moment like how despicable of an act it was sometimes it's it's hard to know sometimes when something extraordinary is happening in front of you like to have the right perspective of just how extraordinary it is but here we are 25 years later still talking about that event and i think he like his hysterics over it i think actually captured like how insane of a moment it was it his hysteric, but it's it's the intonation that changes. So he's in full sanctimony. Where will there be a place in the English game for a man of such extravagant talent? Right. A man of I, I, I jumped in at that. You know, he just loses it, and it's very natural. If anyone who's heard him commentate, he does it in this a brilliant, very verbose fashion. Yeah. Um, I used "Regret" by New Order for that. Great song. Yeah. yeah he doesn't r- regret it. He said one of his proudest moments in English football was Kung, scissor kung fu kicking the hooligan. Now, it could, I was. Is it known what was said to him that, uh, that uh, got it, that attack? The, um, what Cantona recounts is that he ran down the steps, which he did to uh, verbally abuse him, mm-hmm. called him a Frenchie. Like it was xenophobic ra- rather than racist. It, okay. It was, oi, Frenchie, you French, bleh, get back to France kind of thing. Which, I mean, you, you shouldn't ever say. Right. And um, I don't know. He, Sim, I think his name was Simmons was the guy he, he kicked. He, he never came across as a sympathetic character at all. There was a lot of people. But it's interesting, though. Um, it was time 
it was a time in English football where there was a lot of violence off the field. I mean, there was still hordes of English fans when they go abroad with the national team beating people up. Yeah. It was, it was. Uh, well, sadly, that's a part of the game that you tend to think is has been eradicated. But every once in a while, a thing occurs that reminds you, eh, not not yet. And one of those moments occurred today. I'm reading now from Rob Dawson, JJ, at ESPNFC.com. Manchester United have condemned an attack by fans on the club CEO Ed Woodward's home on Tuesday night. A group of approximately 20 people aimed fireworks at Woodward's Cheshire home while uh, a statement issued from United after the incident read, Manchester United Football Club have tonight been made aware of the incident outside the home of one of our employees. We know that the football world will unite behind us as we work with Greater Manchester Police to identify the perpetrators of this unwarranted attack. Anybody found guilty of a criminal offense or found to be trespassing on this property will be banned for life by the club and may face prosecution. Should face. May? May. What do you mean? Yeah. Fans expressing opinion is one thing. Criminal damage and intent to endanger life is another. There is simply no excuse for this. Going by the chance in the crowd over the last few weeks about some horrific things being said about Woodward. Um, it's escalated to actual violence, physical violence on his on his home place. It's. I'm it, sorry. I love sports as much as anyone. I take sports probably too seriously at times. Some people need to get a life. Like, get a life. Do yeah. you think that this is a normal thing for a well-adjusted human being to be doing? I, you know, felony I mean, acts yeah. <laughs> should not be tolerated. But I, again, I mean, they... I don't understand the mindset. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I really don't. It's We've all, at one point, been upset with the things going on in our football club, but this is to take it to, a, like, a macabre level, to fire fireworks at someone's house, to at- literally attack a house. Mm-hmm. We'll see what comes out of this. I mean, look, we know, <laughs> boy, that, that club, that there is a toxicity around that club right now that is... Uh, culminates in events like this. I mean, when was the last time? Like, it's Manchester United. I don't mean to, like, prop them up as some kind of deity in the football world, but, like, can you think of the last time Manchester United was in this sort of state? Oh. Where, like, a thing like this would be happening? I mean, you're going back to the, probably the relegation in the 70s, something like that. It's got to be. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um... They've, it's a fan base that just doesn't they just don't know how to cope I I, I want to say with losing like they're fifth like it's not like they're like bottom half of the table they're, they're still challenging for a spot in the top four and I know that they're they, ex, they expect more than that from this club but like have some perspective but you know what even if they were bad for years and years even if they were good for years and years even if they were good still now just let's isolate the act the act is just preposterous yeah like, and you know what I also you're right to, and the I, toxicity I also, in a football club you know, it should be separated. They shouldn't get to hide behind the the, cl- the club they purport to support. Yeah, let's just call them out as idiots. No, you're right, and I also don't want to impugn the entire fan base because of something that 20 complete no. and utter morons did. I'm, I'm sure most Manchester United fans are reading the news tonight, seeing this, thinking, "Oh my God, what are these monsters doing?" They're a lot making- of Man United fans said said to us, "Oh, don't have Goldberg on; he doesn't represent us." I tell you right now, you'd sooner take Goldberg going off in one of his Alan Partridge rants. Rather than than this, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I wanted to get that to you because we literally just saw that come down here, and it seemed like kind of a kind of a noteworthy event. Um, 
Let's see. Quick check, JJ. I don't have a ton to say about the U.S. men, but I did want to check up on them. It's, uh, of course, the January camp going on. A few things worth mentioning to me. Um, Bruce Arena has weighed in. It's always important. First, we got Jurgen Klinsmann's take that he thought this team would have made the semifinals in the World Cup had he remained manager. Now Bruce Arena is weighing in on the U.S.'s chances for can qualifying you, for Qatar 2022. Yeah, yeah. Just prior, can you just have the uh, electricity ready? Oh, Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I'm starting to uh, beam it up. Have now. it ready to go. Bruce says, uh, talking about the team, I think they'll be positioned to qualify for the next World Cup. I have no doubt in my mind they'll qualify for the next World Cup. No doubt. There we are. I think the last two years have been difficult, but it really doesn't matter what these last two years have been, Arena said. What's important is how they play in 2020 and 2021 to qualify for the 2022 World Cup. Now that I kind of agree with, the last part there. So, and by the way, I would like to say that I agree with his first part too. So losing to Canada and the being—I won't say we were hammered, but we were fairly roundly beaten by Mexico twice, once in a friendly, once in the Gold Cup final. None, none of this matters. Well, it doesn't matter in in the sense of like I always go back to this as my example, but I think there is a certain element when it comes to World Cup qualification of. Just get in. Just get in. Like we saw the I, way... I, I we fundamentally think that you are correct in, in, in the nuts and bolts of what qualifying is for. But we have to be more commanding and better and in what we've done, considering how horrific it was the last time. But I, I always go back to this example of Mexico, uh, not in this qualifi- qualification cycle that happened for uh, the previous World Cup, but the one before that, when they got in on a prayer because the U.S. did them a massive favor on the final day of qualifying. Yeah. You know, and that's how they were able to – that was their avenue in. And then what? Now they get out of their group. They go into the round of 16. And what, that was the year of the uh, – the controversial free kick for Ian Robin. Penalty. Or, right? Or am, am I off by a World Cup? Well, it, no, they barely qualified for 2014, and then it was um, it was the Robin dive. All right. So the, like, think of how— But we're not where them. Where they could have we're, been. Andrew, we're not them. But I'm saying, but Mexico didn't know that they were them at that point. Oh, we did. They had really good players. Go, go through this squad. But I'm say, they, do you even understand how close they were Zap to not yourself. qualifying? Zap yourself. I'm saying, though, they were in— like. They were firing managers left and right. Think I, of this. I, take yourself back to that time period take, for Mexico. You, I know we weren't doing the podcast yet when all that went down, but like I'm telling you, Mexico was an utter disaster. Their fan base had turned against them. They're firing okay. managers every month. Mexico didn't like. We see what they are now, and we think, oh well, like Mexico's different. They weren't different then. The U.S. was probably the better team. I, I take your point, but you are just talking like we haven't spent the last fifteen months or twelve months under bear hold. Well, year, yeah, the last. Last year, under Bearhalter discussing style of play. So now none of that matters. No, it doesn't. Like you, you have always championed the idea that what matters for us, you know, like you kind of almost laugh at the Gold Cup and and things like that. What matters for you and and for American fans is World Cup, World Cup qualification. So like with that as sort of like the the mind frame here. Mm. Like we all know what this is, what these last two years have been. This is the ultimate rebuild the and transition period. My, so of course there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the way. You're going to have those results to Canada. All right. Okay. What matters is what we do now. Qualify, and by the time the World Cup rolls around, these guys who are 20 now they'll be 22. They'll have more experience of getting through qualification, and like then we'll who knows what can happen. I guess I, guess I, I want to crystallize it then down to one thing for me: like progress. 
Like do like in the last year, Bearhalter has had competitive games. Can I see this evolving team get better? Have I seen the progress? Well, I'll ask you this. A year ago yesterday uh, was Greg Bearhalter's first match in charge for the U.S. It was a three nothing win over Panama. Um, I mean, what are our what are our thoughts from this last this first year? Looking back on it now, from then to now, of Bearhalter and how this U.S. rebuild is is progressing. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll answer first if you're thinking about it. I yeah. would say right now it it doesn't it doesn't feel like there's been a lot of movement forward, right? Based on results. Now, having said that, you know the U.S. did get to the Gold Cup final. And we can sit here and pretend like that's what they're supposed to do. Well, none of you were none of you were talking that way before the tournament. Like people are so down on the U.S. and then when they go and do something that people don't expect, it's still not good enough. Um, I thought we'd be in a final, and we were. I get what you're saying, but like I I I, that, I think in the marquee games, Andrew, and in some of the 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 games we thought would be easier, we. We we still look like we're floundering a bit. I I, I think our progress um, has not been helped by the very raw implementation of this this style of play that the that the manager really wants to push. Uh-huh, I, I get that. I think we could have been. I think maybe maybe this will end up as being a brave decision by him. Maybe it'll end up being when we come out of this that he was brave to persist with what he was trying to do, because now look where we are. But I don't think so. Well, for me, I mean, I think about this year, and I think about progress not necessarily being there in terms of on-field results, but just in terms of continued development of young players. If you think about the past year, think of some of the things that have happened. Like Josh Sargent has now gone off to Europe and is playing somewhat regularly in the Bundesliga. Mm. Sergio Dest, against all odds, has now declared for the U.S., Rather than the Netherlands, um, you know, Christian Pulisic has gone to Chelsea, come through and, growing pains, and looks good now injured. But yes, right, but definite like overall, progress. like Pulisic went from a year in Dortmund where he wasn't really playing, made a huge move to Chelsea where he's filling the shoes of Eden Hazard. Fair or not, that's the perception, and he's looked good doing it. Gio Reyna has now broken through the ranks at Dortmund in, right. in, in brilliant fashion. There, I accept. So like, I, I think ex- American fans who are mad at Barrowhalter, who are mad at some of these results that they're seeing in international friendlies and some of these competitions that whatever, like try to keep some level of perspective and some level of patience. Uh, it's not necessarily all as bad as, I, as you all think. I still think we have a good enough squad to be much better than where we are right now. And I think the question mark is just can the manager get us to that point and I don't know yet. We don't. You're right. We don't know. By the way, I didn't even mention uh, West Ham is trying to get Aaron Long, and the New York Red Bulls are rejecting that. Like Greg Berhalter, in his way, he's a polite man. He's not necessarily going to be as you know boisterous and bombastic about all this as maybe Klinsman would have been. We all knew how he felt. But when when Berhalter was asked about Aaron Long and the Red Bulls rejecting it, he basically said the Premier League is the highest league level out sure. there, and we want our guys playing in the highest level so you know that's like a guy like him by the way and less mainstay like is I, on the radar of premier league clubs i don't i mean he was there last season and it, they didn't get it over the line I, I don't want to be disparaging i'm not disparaging aaron long here by the way not in the slightest but west ham signing an american center half from mls would be so in key 
with the hodgepodge kind of way they've gone about constructing their team in the last few years, I'd worry that Long would be walking into an absolute mess. Maybe, but I just am in the mind frame of I want these players playing. Correct, and, absolutely. And I, I hate saying that because I try to support MLS out of one side of my mouth and say this out of the other, but... No, it, it's, this the, is, we can still enjoy MLS and believe it's getting better and also realize that it's important for these guys to be testing themselves in just the like, leagues. Just like Chicharito tried to point out in his video. Yeah, you know what? We, I, I didn't even know if we were going to talk about that because it happened such a while ago, but we haven't been on since, right, to no, address it. No, Do um, you actually have remember exactly what the comment was? Uh, he said, uh, you know, he said, it's the beginning of my retirement. The father, his father, Poppy, says no. He says it is, and he said, it's going. don't get me wrong, I'm not sad. It's going to be awesome, meaning being in the league, but this... The European dream is over. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially it. Right. What is the problem with what he said there? Um, I think a lot of MLS bashers jumped on it. And, you know, I'm as critical as anyone about the league when I need to be. But this was fairly obvious to me. Um, it's, I, you know, some people were saying, oh, well, if he doesn't want to be in the league, if he doesn't want to be at LA, don't go. It's, I think the amount of effort and emotion and the stress probably on a young family to get him to the point in Mexico, at Chivas Guadalajara, to the point where he would be taken to Europe. And he didn't just go to Europe, guys. He went to Manchester United. Mm-hmm. And he played at Real Madrid. I mean, these are amazing things. This is what made his name. And to be 31 and accept that door is probably closed now is emotional. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to share that moment with his parents, albeit I would not have recorded that. I wouldn't have done that. Um, you're 100% right. That's the way I feel. You're 100% right. The only reason that American MLS fans have a problem with it, you know why. He used the word. He used the word that MLS fans are so super sensitive about, retirement. And retirement league. And we've heard heard Ashley Cole reference MLS as being a retirement league. And then then end up there a year later. (laughs) We can't just blindly act like that isn't a sensitive issue among MLS fans. He happened to use that word, and you knew that that has a connotation that comes along with it that was going to set off alarm bells. I wonder how many people watched the entirety of that video. It was only a few minutes, but I wonder, because the picture you get out of it is, I thought it was a... A lovely, sweet thing. And he comes across as a really engaging and an enigmatic person. His English is excellent, which is going to help him here in terms of, you know, being able to... Connect ex- with his fan base, which is going to be a really well, important Well, connect thing. with a larger fan base. The LA fan base, Spanish will be just fine. You know? <laughs> yeah, but... But no, yeah, you're right, you're right. I um, thought it was endearing. I thought he came across really well. And... Um, I, I picked I picked holes in, in Schweinsteiger going to Chicago, and I think I was right to do that. Lampard, ditto. Pirlo, absolutely. But this isn't it in terms of uh, a retirement yeah. league move. I don't feel that. No, I don't think so either. No, no there is questions about his body. I mean, he has not played that much, much this season. He, he looked, and uh, my friend Luke is a West Ham fan, and he keeps saying it. He said, JJ, he looked three or four yards slower than he was in previous seasons, and that, uh. that will be a concern in MLS, which is not exactly a slow league. Yeah, I think this is one of those things where actions will speak louder than words. If he comes to MLS, if it looks like he puts on weight, if he's not, you know, if he's not playing well, if he's not scoring goals, um, then I think people will go back to that comment, that retirement comment that he made, and he'll be mocked for it. But if he comes to MLS and he's he's a star, and he plays like the star that I think LA Galaxy fans expect him to be, 
it'll be forgotten. You know, if he had just, there's no, I can't think of a way he could have said it though. Oh, I don't have Spanish. Is there a Spanish for the beginning of the end? I'm on the downward slope now. There's, sure there he is. couldn't have yeah. said anything there that wouldn't he have. used the word. He's... You know how American fans are. We're very sensitive to that word in particular. Uh, you have a mailbag here. It's a beautiful mailbag. Gorgeous even. <laughs> Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com. Uh, Caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at COSoccerPod. And um, that's where you can get me. And that's where I curate, Andrew. I curate these emails. Um, Twitter Justin starts off um, were there any soccer players that passed away suddenly after retirement or during their playing career that was as shocking as this Kobe Bryant news R.I.P. Mamba and um, this was just stunning over the weekend yeah so we were going to talk about this near the start of the podcast but once you showed me the mailbag that there was a question on it we figured well we'll just we'll talk about it when it comes up um you know, I think that this has been jarring uh, in some ways to see the outpouring that this has gotten. Like, you know, I've lived in the U.S. my whole life. I'm a huge basketball fan. So I always, you know, when when I found out that he died, you knew right away that this, this, the outpouring from the basketball community Did you from see the, him this live? country would be huge. Did you see him live Many when times. he was at this, uh, when you had season tickets for the Sixers? Many times, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's been... I think the thing that, because I'm in this kind of American bubble, the thing that's been surprising to me has been the international reach that his death has had, the the impact that it's had on the entire world. That, I think, was a thing, you know, he he's kind of a global citizen um, from his youth in uh, growing up in Italy. But, you know, to see the way AC Milan honored him before uh, the game, their Coppa Italia match against Torino earlier today, uh, you know, Neymar, uh, the day that it, that this had happened, scoring a goal and, and then the putting four. up the 2-4 for the cameras after he scored. Uh, you know, that's – I can't think of – I can't think of many figures that would inspire that kind of feeling around the entire world, let alone within their own country. I and think it's really been – it's been very sad. It's been very moving to, to witness all of this. I think – People forget how sneaky popular across the globe basketball actually yes. is. People forget that um, in the Balkan states, in Israel, in France, in Spain in particular, even in Ireland in the 80s, there was like, there still is a professional league in Ireland. Yeah. Um, so people don't realize how, how much it's watched. Um, what I found was kind of interesting was um, the sense of commun- commun- communal grief in America right now. The the kind of widespread outpouring of affection and um, something you you rarely rarely see and and trying to bring it back to the tweet, um, you'd have to go back maybe. People have died young uh, in football. Jose Antonio Reyes in the last year, Emiliano Sala as well, mm-hmm. um, more, quite notably, and it's tragic. And we've even had players die on the field and. It, Terrible things. Um, but in terms of, of the level of Kobe in the, in the soccer game, you probably have to be talking about the Munich Air disaster and Duncan Edwards. You really would. Mm-hmm. Um, Chapaquenze obviously was a, you know, something that came to our attention, but, you know, those players weren't household names around the world in the way that Kobe Bryant was. Um, honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting somebody. 
and maybe somebody one of our listeners wants to point it out but I can't think of it I, I've never seen anything like it um, Jesus Zanada's uh, favourite Kobe memory before we get off this um, let's see well the final image is kind of the most indelible one of him putting up 60 points in his final game um, against Utah that was kind of a surreal viewing experience to watch this player who was his body had kind of betrayed him and it was it was clearly over for him throughout that and he was clearly that getting the ball and, whenever they could shovel yeah, it to he him he took 50 shots that night but like <laughs> for you know for him to to summon that one more time uh with everyone watching him and everyone hoping to see it but not really thinking it was a thing that could happen I mean, man, like the Golden State Warriors won their 73rd game of the season that night, which set the NBA record for most wins in regular season. No one, like, no one was paying attention to that because Kobe was putting up 60 on the other channel. Like, that was a surreal thing to watch. Um, unfortunately, I would say that, well, also, you know, the night he scored 81, you know, you're, you're seeing numbers that you just never thought he's doing things you just didn't think you'd ever see tore his Achilles stayed in the game shot two free throws made both of them and then had to check out because he literally couldn't walk didn't he, throw, he stayed stationary in the free throw line because he couldn't move didn't he tear a rotator cuff and throw off his left in one game uh, yeah um, so like these are like Paul Bunyan tales that you hear about this guy and just his like his refusal to give in uh, in any situation um, it's interesting though people were asking me because I'm from Philadelphia and he went to Lower Marion High School which is in Montgomery County which is where I went to Upper Dublin High School also Montgomery County so people um, were asking me about his relationship with, with the city yeah. um, and I would actually tell you that he had a very complicated relationship with Philadelphia um, he is not one of these athletes like a lot of athletes if you're from Philly that's a thing for you it's a thing you take pride in. It's an attitude, uh, a, a grittiness to a certain level. And Kobe did not embrace that. Uh, when the Sixers were playing the Lakers in the NBA Finals in 2001, he made a comment to a fan. I guess a fan said something to him. And he made a comment back to the fan, something to the effect of, um, not just I want to beat the Sixers. He said, I want to tear their hearts out. And I think... That it had, like, it feels stupid and petty now thinking about it. Like, of course, he's on the Lakers. He wants to win an NBA championship. Um, but I think it had a more visceral reaction with Philadelphia fans because it was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, you're from here. We get you want to win. But, like, it just felt like a graphic way of saying something that we all kind of knew to be true. Uh, and, you know, he went on and on over the course of that series and his career about how he was never a Sixers fan. He was always a Lakers fan. Uh, and I think this distance kind of grew between him and the city. And then I was there at the NBA All-Star Game a year later. It was less than a year removed from the NBA Finals. And in his own hometown, he was booed every time he touched the ball. And it became a thing. He went on to win All-Star Game MVP because he shot and continued to shoot and shoot and shoot because he was determined to do it there uh, in his hometown. But he was kind of rejected in some ways by his own city. Uh, and there was a, a coldness and a distance between Philly and Kobe. And I think late in his career, that evaporated. And in the Lakers' last game in Philadelphia, he got a huge ovation. He was awarded with a, a jersey. There was a whole big presentation. And it seemed like, you know, bygones were bygones. But it's interesting. Just like he was a, he's a very, he's a very, well, it feels so weird using his name in the past tense. That's a thing that's hard to like wrap my mind around. But, you know, he was a very complex figure. Um, there's yeah. no question about that. <clears throat> and I that. think people coming, one of the interesting things for me over the last few days is 
um, how people come to a reckoning with someone when they've passed suddenly and how they balance their life, especially when they've been in the public eye for, for a sport. Mm-hmm. How do we, what is the right way to memorialize or to think about a person who's passed? And uh, honestly, your thoughts and, and your, Every every part of you aches though for the fact that that little girl, horrifying. daughter, died with him. It's I just, just keep playing the image in my head of just like the fear. Like yeah, he that, must have seen such fear in oh, her God, eyes, and it's oh. just like it's horrifying. But you know, to bring it back to soccer, this is a soccer podcast after all. Um, yeah, he was. He embraced this sport. We see that a lot now of NBA players really taking an interest in soccer. James Harden, kind of the latest to like gone in on Houston. Uh, but Kobe Bryant was kind of doing this in a time where it wasn't it wasn't yet cool. Like soccer, his Italian I, background, growing up in or spending some of his formative years in Italy, definitely helped. Yeah, him. I mean, I think he had like an act, like a real friendship with Ronaldinho, and like he grew a, this attachment with Barcelona. Uh, later on, although he was technically an AC Milan fan, right. from watching, I mean, he got to watch firsthand the really great Milan team of the mid nineties because he was uh, of the early nineties because he was living there. Um, AC Milan honored him this evening, I believe, yeah. in the Coppa Italia. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's um, you know I don't want to say that he was like a trailblazer for other NBA players to embrace soccer, but he was certainly one of the first American. NBA players that I can think of who really did embrace it and like you see it more and more now and you can't help but think that some of that is is his influence because in every realm of of life it just seems like he left this incredible footprint and you know soccer was was yet another one because he truly did love the sport. Ono Sullivan, I had the opposite of the A-Gundling gripe recently. Hmm. I was at a pedestrian crossing but one where you need to press the button to get the green light to cross. But a woman was stood right there at the button already and hadn't pressed it. I bottled it. And so I, he just stood he there? He just stood there. <laughs> but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know. He didn't want to be the one to go and push it. He just he bottled it at, at that magic moment. <laughs> but that, what happened, though? Is, is he still standing there? No, the light would have, would have changed anyway. But that button, it makes things happen quicker. Yeah, I saw somebody else mention uh, after I had told that story about, like – they got to um, a class, and sometimes like the a door will be locked, so no one goes into the room yet because it's locked. And, and it's so, always locked, right? But like, I guess he, this guy, walked up and just they all made this assumption because there were other people standing there that the door was locked, and so they're all standing there and standing there. No one wants to be the D who like <laughs> act, goes and opens it, and it turns out the door was unlocked the entire time. So sometimes, like you know, you don't want to be that guy, but I guess sometimes there are instances where you kind of have to be. Uh, Catherine River Sage on Retiro. <laughs> Gotta be honest, boys, I'm finding it a little difficult to get up for this upcoming MLS season. I usually follow it pretty closely, even if I don't necessarily have a team to support. What are some things you guys are looking for looking forward to in MLS in twenty twenty? Um for me, I'm fascinated about the New York teams. Uh the Red Bulls. <laughs> I'm, they're in a weird place where you feel as if they're falling away from what they were before. How many times have we said that, though? But Yeah, but yet maybe, you know, they've lost some key players. Lewis Robles is gone. No more Bradley Wright Phillips. I mean, what are they going to be now going forward? NYCFC, 
also still fascinating. Much better last season. New manager comes in, Ronnie Dahlia. Can he keep it going? Does he try and put his own imprint on things? Fascinated about Atlanta. They've lost Julian Gressel. I say lost. They kind of had to move him on. I think it was payroll um, repercussions. They needed, he was going to get paid and he needed to go. He's yeah. at DC United now. What, yeah. are, what are they going to be? Gressel, I actually think Gressel is really important to Atlanta. Um, Chicharito in Los Angeles. LAFC, Vea, can he do another amazing season like he did before? And then you've got Nashville coming into the mix. You're going to have a team in Inter-Miami coming into the mix too as well in, in a one of the most elaborately and nicely adorned makeshift stadia we've ever seen while they wait to build their other lavishly adorned stadia. Um, so um, all those things are, are kind of curious to me. Yeah, I mean, look, mine is is sort of biased but I am very curious about the Philadelphia Union this season uh on a on a personal note really because I'm a, I support the club um but like coming off the season they just had will they kick on and will that become a consistent thing because that's been an issue for them in the past and they've been smart uh with signings they just kind of like moved Hamiro Montero to become a designated player for them they just went over and brought in uh Mate Orovic from the Slovakian league um you know I'm just curious, like Mark McKenzie just got a new contract for the union, uh, age 20, one of their homegrown players. I'm very, I'm very curious about what his development, continued development is going to be. I'm just, I'm excited about the direction that this team is headed. I feel like everyone is finally on board with Jim Curtin as their coach. I think he's now proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's the right man for the job and maybe one of the better managers in this league. Uh, I feel like morale is high around this club, and it's been a while since they entered a season where that was the case. And I'm just waiting for Schmetzer in Seattle to walk into a locker room where there's a load of injuries, Mm -hmm. and he'll just put his hands on his hips and he goes, well, what do you know? Isn't this a dilly of a pickle? (laughs) And then there'll be canned laughter in the background. Right. Yeah, I could... I can envision that scenario, but I will say, who was it that sent us that note? Like, I could see Catherine River Sage on Retiro. <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder. Like, are there going to be fans who, with Zlatan out of the league, like will interest away. will interest wane for some people because sure. love him or hate him, he was at least a divisive figure that you could be interested. You in. You know, who's most worried about him not being there is the MLS social media department for those yeah. impressions. That's going to be a big thing. We've, we have to get on, Andrew. There's a lot uh, left no. to do. You're right. All right, let Jeez. me let me plow through. Uh, Michael McMahon, um, hey guys, I have a question for you, and I swear I'm not being facetious, even though it may sound con- condescending. It doesn't sound either of those things. I've been hearing a lot of pundits, including you two, talking about how Trent Alexander Arnold is revolutionising the fullback position. I agree he's a great player, maybe haven't watched Liverpool enough this year, but it seems to me that he has a similar role as Jordi Alba or Marcelo in Spain. What does he do that is so different from those two fullbacks who play high, overlap on the wings to put in crosses? Or is it just that he has that role in England and that's where the difference lies? Thanks. Uh, first point I'd make is that in terms of assists, he's doing things we've not seen before from a defender. He had 12 assists last season, Michael, which breaks the single-season English Premier League record. He is on course to surpass that this season as he sits on 10 as we sit here in January. The only player ahead of him is Kevin De Bruyne. Hmm. He's not a fullback. Now, a quick look at Jordi Alba, Martello's uh, records, or stats in La Liga shows the average for them is around seven or eight assists for the league season, which is excellent. And I think Jordi Alba may have broken 10 in the last five or six years. But you see the point I'm making. It's the numbers. But more than that, 
It's his ability to completely change the point of attack and switch the play with a passing ability of a top-range centre midfielder. Um, The example at Wolves, I'm watching it, Andrew. He has the ball on the halfway line. There's two Wolves players coming to press and there's a Liverpool midfielder inside. He can just knock it in and he can switch the play. He He shoves the ball out of his feet and lashes a pass right onto Robertson's foot the other side. And... If you think about Xabi Alonso playing for Liverpool, he'd drop in, take the ball off the full-backs of the wingers, and he'd switch the play himself. This is Alexander-Arnold removing the middleman. And I'll go as far as to say I have not seen a passer of the ball like him that has not played in the central midfield position. And that is the difference. And that is why he's changing the game, in my opinion. Uh, Ian Levine. What point do all the pundits stop talking about United? Never. It seems that all anyone is talking about is United. I understand they're a massive club, but they are hot garbage right now and have been for the last two or three seasons. Move on, it's getting old. Ian, you said you understand, and then you showed us why you don't. They're like the Dallas Cowboys, as you said to me earlier. You're always going to be talking about them, and even more so when they're crap. Yep. And finally, Canadian leg. If you could change one result in football history... Not involving a team you support, what would you pick? Uh, at first I thought this was a hard question, and then I thought about it, and it became super easy. I would change the result of either the Panama-Costa Rica match or the Mexico-Honduras match on the final night Vest, of qualifying. Vested interest. Vested interest. It does not involve my team. I, I just I, happen to want those results to have been different. I think, uh, off the top of my head, I think the Italian 90 World Cup final, I would like to have seen Maradona go back-to-back. Okay. That would have really, really cemented his greatness. Um, but it didn't happen and Germany won it. I, I had one other one too. I had the other one. Lines. The right. Euro 2000 semi-final, Italy versus Holland. And I know we have a lot of Italians who listen, so I, I don't mean this as a knock on your team, but I wanted a Holland-France final. That Dutch team, they put six on uh, Yugoslavia, the old Yugoslavia, in the quarterfinal. They looked amazing. And uh, Frank Reichard crying after they lost on penalties was a travesty. I really wanted them to go to the final. Not saying the final wasn't exciting, but Italy, uh, Holland and France in that final would have been much better. Yeah, uh, there's part of me too. It was the Germany-Brazil semifinal in the World Cup in Brazil. I don't know, there's... Like the nature of that defeat was so horrifying that it kind of like colors the way I view the whole game. But there was part of me that really wanted that Brazil Argentina final in a World Cup final, like just the epicness of of that rivalry on that stage. I always thought would have been cool, but instead Germany just laid down the ultimate beating, and uh, it was not meant to be. That's it. We got to oh, move. We got to yeah, move yeah. on. We're oh moving. my god! All right, what to watch for? We'll do a quick one. Leicester City and Chelsea. Um, I just want to say one thing about Wilfred, uh, Wilfred and Didi. I was reading something on the BBC. I think it was Gary Rose who wrote about Wilfred and Didi. How like people kind of need to stop with the N'Golo Conte stuff because Didi is now carving out his own legacy. He's so young still. Um, he has eighty six tackles, and remember, he's missed. Uh, a few games this season recently through injury by the way it's not so ironic that that is also when Leicester City's title challenge if you even want to say they had one fell by the wayside and they started losing games when he wasn't there he's got 86 tackles this season next closest is uh, Jao Moutinho from Wolves who's something like 20 behind him like his his ability in the midfield to win possession back and immediately spring play back going the other direction. He's, he might be as good as anybody right now in the league. And in the article, it says he's 
Like the Ngolo Conte comparisons will always be there because he's the guy who stepped in after Conte left. They play a similar position, similar style. But he, uh, for such a laid back guy that he is, um, he does not enjoy those comparisons. Is what James Madison, one of his teammates, was saying, um, and that he wants to be remembered as his own guy and not just the next Ngolo Conte. And I would say he is he is on his way to doing just that. He's spectacular. Uh, Saturday, 10 a.m., Liverpool and Southampton. Bears mentioning Southampton. Huge result for them, getting a, a replay against Tottenham in the FA Cup. Late goal. Uh, this dream season that they're kind of experiencing since that horrifying game against Leicester City, uh, it continues, and we'll see if they get any of this in the Cup. Boy, I hope not. Uh, Saturday, 10 a.m., Newcastle and Norwich. JJ, I know you've been very into all of what's been happening with Newcastle. Yes. Yeah, so Mike Ashley has been in talks um, which have been fronted by the British financier and perennial association with Newcastle, Amanda Staveley, um, about a tw- a 80% um, funding provided by the Saudi Arabia Sovereign Wealth Fund to take over the club. So for some reason, um, and this fund is controlled by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, um. Yeah, it's it's a weird scenario. Stavely's heading this up. The eighty percent would come from the Saudis, and she would have a twenty percent interest in it. Why? I'm not sure. Is this some kind of bridge that they feel is necessary between them and the club to have a kind of interlocutor of some? Is it supposed to make it more palatable? Yeah, I mean, she's I the same. She's the same person that brought the Saudi bid to Liverpool, I think, uh, 14 months ago when Liverpool rejected it out of hand. Um, and She's been involved in other failed takeovers of Newcastle United. Um, now, Amnesty International have, have spoken about the possibility of this group taking over and the um, human rights issues in Saudi Arabia and directly link with this with this. Uh, proposed takeover um, Ashley is supposed to be spooked by the fact that this got leaked and as of now we have nothing concrete but again it's the second time there was the takeover talk during the, just during the summer I believe I thought that was over the line it wasn't in fact it was nowhere close mm-hmm. this seems to be much closer and it's going to throw up again we're talking about the future of English football at the start of the podcast well we're in another moment of um that upper tier could be getting larger. It, again, potentially changing the game with the amount of money that they could bring in. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, 12.30 p.m., Wolves and Man United. A lot of good games this weekend. This is a good slate. Uh, move to Sunday, um, 11.30 a.m., Tottenham and Manchester City. Uh, people probably thought we would have gotten to this maybe a little bit earlier, and I feel like we're, this is late and we kind of need to hurry it along here. But, uh, God, I had to mention Christian Eriksen. His move to Inter yeah. Milan is now official. Um, I have so many mixed feelings about this. He doesn't. But, well, He's about to make bank in yeah. a huge way. Um, ultimately, the way that this ended for him at Tottenham, it was kind of ugly. Booed off the pitch when he came off. Uh, which game was that? A couple a couple of games ago. I don't even remember. I think he got, booed, he got booed off in what they thought was his last game, and then Mourinho yeah. wheels him out for another one. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I don't know. The fans who, who booed him off, like... That's just not the way that it, that his time with Spurs is going to be remembered for me. He was part of the uh, the seven 
that they bought off of the Gareth Bale money. Um, and it always bothered me when, you know, at one by one, those guys would all leave. Uh, and it was always viewed as it was like some kind of failed, um, like the Tottenham failed miserably in uh, in the windfall that they got from that. And I always wanted to say to people like, dude, look, Christian Eriksen is, is fantastic. Like, And in the end, Tottenham experienced far greater success with him manning the midfield than they ever did with Bale. Uh, not saying that Erickson is better than Bale, but like there different, were sti- different types. There were still great days ahead. He was a tremendous player for Tottenham in one of the greatest eras in the club's history. He was one of their greatest players during that era. So uh, that is how I will remember him as a Tottenham player. This move was always coming, and I think there's a lesson here uh, to be learned for Tottenham, and it's not just the lesson of you know how. They spend their money on buying players. Like, well, they'll never live down that summer where they didn't make any signings. Uh, that was a lesson in its own right. But I think they're also learning the lesson of how you go about selling players in a moment when you don't necessarily want to do it. Um, the foresight or the lack of foresight that Spurs and Daniel Levy showed during this run with Erickson, who at one point was being valued at almost $100 million, now he leaves for less than twenty. Uh, while at 27 years old, he's still in his prime. That's embarrassing that that's what they got for a but player was, in his prime of that there quality. There was a chance they wouldn't even get close to You're that. You're right. So. But like, he's not the only one that this happened to. Eric Dyer, at one point valued around $50 million. What would he go for now? 10 You know, Victor Wanyama, another one. So like Tottenham, and, and I understand it, and I respect their ambition of when this was happening because they were going for what they believed was a title or a Champions League run, which they, by the way, went on and, and made. Um but like, there is a lesson to come out of this that sometimes it's not easy to say goodbye to players that you don't want to in the moment, but it, it could serve some some greater good. It's just hard to know when that right moment is. Um, now, by the same token, they say goodbye to him, uh, but they right away turn around and they make Giovanni Lo Celso's move permanent, which they had to do. It's a great deal for them, $35 million, and you can tell in relatively limited action, but more so lately, he looks, he looks like a player. Like, yes. He really, really does. Um, and... They go out. I don't know if this is official yet. I haven't seen the obligatory picture of a guy holding up a jersey. But uh, Steven Bergwin from PSV Eindhoven. Lots of promise around this move should it get pushed across the line. Scored 16 goals for PSV uh, last season. He's got six goals in 29 appearances in all competitions so far this season. He's a really speedy 22-year-old left winger uh, who's now starting to make his name also for the Dutch national team. And and we just know how much success that uh, Spurs can have. With players coming from the Dutch league, yeah, we also know it them. can go the other way too. Yeah, just ask Vincent Janssen. Hmm. Why bring that up now? Though? We need to do a, a transfer review next week, probably. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure we will. But I did want to mention a couple of those things. And you had asked me about maybe it would be worthwhile me putting my favorite all-time Christian Eriksen moment out there because he's certainly had uh, he's had a lot of them. It was very hard to choose. Uh, I don't necessarily remember him as a goal scorer, a natural goal scorer. He was more of a guy who was setting play up, setting up assists for others. But I just can't help but not think about that night um, against Real Madrid in the Champions League. Tottenham were rolling up 2-0, and then for him to put the finishing touch on the way that he did. Eriksen's played in here for Spurs. It's Trey! The swiftest of counterattacks. It's not all about Kane. God, what a night that was, just watching them just, like, tear apart the defending European champions, uh, and he kind of put the cherry on top. So that is how I will remember Christian Eriksen. There's one player left, JJ, on Tottenham, of the seven that they bought from 
the bail money. Do you know who that is? Eric Lamella. That's right. He's the last last remaining one. I would ask you to name all seven that they bought, but I don't think you could do it. Uh, Nabil Bentaleb. No. Lamella. Right. Ericsson. Alderweireld. No. Did they not come together? No. No. There were some other bad players in there. Etienne Capou. Etienne Capou. Uh, Benjamin Stambouli. That's the hard one. Um, Paulinho, which was supposed to have been a huge... That was probably... Him and Erickson were kind of the two biggest. Well, Lamella, too, actually. That was a big one. Um, who am I, did I, have we said all seven? I don't know. I've already forgotten. Mm. Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, and let's see. One from La Liga I wanted to mention. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. That's Saturday at 10 a.m. I saw that Chris, uh, Kieran Trippier referred to Diego Simeone as the best manager in the world. Hmm. I mean, well, maybe he, I he's know. his manager right now, so it's... Uh, but then he mentioned... Tom Waits himself. Did you see the full comment, though, that Trippier made uh, where he mentioned Simeone, and then he talked about some of the other great managers, uh, and he said Klopp, Guardiola, and Sean Deitch, his manager from Burnley. Didn't mention Pochettino. But the Deitch man got it all going for him, so he's loyal to those that kind yep. of... He didn't mention Poch. Didn't mention didn't Poch. End well. I, I get the feeling that something bad happened there between those two before we go on um there is u.s women's national team olympic qualifying um they're playing haiti tonight but uh, as kimberly mccauley kind of pointed out they're going to win that easily but christine sinclair of canada 100 she sits on 183 goals she's playing tonight mm. for canada against st kitts and nevis she is one less than abby ba- wambach's international record wow that could go tonight. She's going to clear that. If not tonight, I mean, it's it's a it's matter coming. of it's a matter of time. Yeah, wow. it, could, it could be see a Wambach. Wow. Oof. Red card. You want to go? Yeah, um, I'm giving red cards to uh, cruciate ligaments. Uh, Leon striker Ada Hegerberg faces a lengthy spell on the sidelines after rupturing her anterior cruciate ligament. The French club said today, Tuesday, Hegerberg, the 2018 Women's Ballon d'Or winner, suffered the injury in her right knee during training. This is what she said on Twitter. This is a setback for me, but I'm going to work through this with all my heart and my energy. The best is yet to come. You'll see me soon. Um, Research shows women are four to six times more likely to suffer an ACL injury than male footballers. Four to six times is... Significant. Huge, yeah. So um, I feel really bad for her. Yeah. She was sitting on nine goals already this season. Um, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Mm, so that's that's that. my red card that I managed to, to find. All right. Uh, my red card, JJ, goes to West Ham. I kind of referenced this earlier, but obviously staying up and avoiding relegation is vitally important for the well-being of any club, but it's starting to feel even more vital for them. This is from the BBC. Despite spending more than £130 million on transfers and £214.4 million in the last four years, West Ham are only uh, above the Premier League drop zone on goal difference. Listen to this quote. Retention of our status in 2019-2020 season is an absolute necessity for the future well-being of the club, said West Ham in their accounts. Uh, The clubs say there will be, quote, serious financial consequences should they be relegated into the championship. Ironically, these statements, along with an expansive note from joint owner David Sullivan, were written in October when the club was pushing for a place in the top four. Uh, So what may have began as kind of a dramatic statement that felt like it could be made because it was pure fantasy suddenly doesn't feel quite so far-fetched. 
Uh, I guess this is kind of the end result of poor decision-making in the transfer market, maybe poor decision-making in terms of managerial selections. Uh, this has set the club back significantly, and you just wonder how low morale could sink at that club should things continue on the trajectory that they're going. Well, we've already seen you know, pitch invasions in the past. We've seen the the uh, protests outside the ground in the last two weeks. Yeah, I mean, where is this going to go now? For I don't them? know, but when they start talking about like the seriousness, the graveness of should they be relegated, it means they've been living beyond their means right now. Yeah, and you start thinking about some of the other clubs. Like there are cautionary tales out there. Leeds United, yes. Uh, so it's like it's starting to feel a little dire for them. They better they better find a way. And the fans are feeling well being. Yeah. Again, does Aaron Long want to go into this? Well, yes. yes. If you have the chance to to make that jump, you still you still take it. Caught offside's man of the match. Would you like to go, JJ? I don't have one, so it's all you, Senator. This is a first. This don't, is a first. I, I, I looked, and and everything that came that I came across was like, nah, it's not for me. Okay. Well, I have one. Okay. I did the work. I'm diligent. I care. Uh, JJ, this week, Greg Berhalter named his leadership council for the January camp. He said, quote, like every camp, we have a leadership council, a group that comes together to make to help make decisions and help communicate uh, with the coach. Hold on, hold on. I'll tell you why in a sec. Uh, Berhalter explained, in this particular camp, we have Walker Zimmerman, Christian Roldan, Aaron Long, Reggie Cannon, and Sean Johnson. All of these guys have been around our group, are experienced players in international games, and have been really helpful in giving the group a voice, but also in running ideas and making decisions. JJ, there was one name that I mentioned there that stood out to me. I wonder if it stood out to you. Say it again. Uh, Walker Zimmerman, Christian Roldan, Aaron Long, Reggie Cannon, and Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson? No, that is the wrong answer. JJ, Reggie Cannon is 21 years old. He has been appointed to this leadership council. All of those other players that I mentioned are at least mid-20s or or later, far later than that. The Council of the Elders. But... Bearhalter was asked about Cannon specifically being named to this at such a young age. He explained, uh, he said, Reggie's a player that has done a great job to increase his status within the team. He does that by having the right mindset to work every single day, to want to get better, put everything into his profession. We've been working with him for a year now. He's got a lot of respect from his teammates and coaching staff. He works extremely hard, extremely focused on getting better. It's great to see from a young player how focused he is now and how dedicated he is. Uh, Cannon's going to be a a key figure on the under-23 Olympic qualifying team. Greg Berhalter talked about that, too. Um, And it it feels now like like it's time to include his name. I know he's an MLS player, so we view him differently than the other young starlets for this team. No, he's been good in flashes for the the national team. But I feel like you can tell when Berhalter does things like this, includes a 21-year-old, and you can mock the leadership council if you want, but it means something within the confines of this team. And for him to put a 21-year-old on it who's playing at FC Dallas, not playing in Europe, playing at FC Dallas... You know, I think now when we talk about the Tyler Adams and the Weston McKinney's and guys like that, I think Cannon has also become another young player that we should feel really excited about moving forward with this team. Yeah, he has looked good when he's played. Um, does he get a sword or a gavel? They do, actually. They do get swords. They play with them. They'll be holstered at their, uh, at their sides. A sash, maybe. Leadership council, council sash. It has a very Game of Thrones feel to it. We must take this to the leadership council. Quickly, I ride to Westeros. You just mock what you don't understand. No, I mean, it's obviously... If there was a leadership council within this show, I would be the president, the secretary, the treasurer. Um, You would not have a place in the leadership council. 
Somebody said that they'd pay any money for us both to have to go together on Retiro. I think that'd be fun. Although you're not allowed to have fun on Retiro. Isn't that the, the idea? I think so, yeah. So we would kind of just sit and read. But not a fun book. Like, uh, oh. <laughs> JJ has set up a book in here and that was mean. Mean-spirited. Mean-spirited. It was an autobiography by yeah. a former player. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, oh, let's see. Mercy. We'll get out in one sec, but I got to tell you something one more time. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell because I don't know if it sunk in earlier. JJ, hiring is challenging. Oh, my God. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, and growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is where Cafe Altura's COO Dylan Miskowitz went when he experienced how challenging how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. What? Director of coffee? That is a thing. It's a very important thing within a coffee company, what obviously. What does he do? Smell the beans? Of course. These select- beans are no good. Take them back to the leadership they, council. They select beans. Uh, that's a, an enormous part of the director of coffee's responsibilities. Ugh. But then Dylan switched to ZipRecruiter and he saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for ZipRecruiter at ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great uh, candidates were applying. And he found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Just try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash offside. O-F-F-S-I-D-E. That's ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I was truly nervous for this podcast because I didn't know how to tell you that I had seen 1917. No, it was feel, a little bit disappointing. But, I know. I but really felt bad. It, it almost marred the movie-going experience ah, for me. I was stop. thinking Don't about so it while dramatic. I was That's not true. It's not true. And I'll tell you, it, I'm so excited to see it now that you've given it just this extra layer of build-up. I can't even say enough good things about it. It was... you you got to see it and you have, we have to talk about we it. We will be crushed. If we get enough responses to the negative about no, this, th- this time, and and I felt this way for Dunkirk too, but I'm telling you, it, I now I feel so confident in how I feel about this movie that if if you hated it, then it's a you problem. Then there's something wrong with you, is what I'm saying. You need to address like some some issues within your own life. Well, the leadership uh, council at the Academy Awards are definitely gonna. It already won the Golden Globe yeah. for Best Picture, Best Director. Oh, man. What a f- – it, it really was an experience, I must say. This podcast has been an experience. I know. And for you to say that, I Ooh. shudder to think of how long this actually took. This out is to going to be close to the two. Get out of here. It's going to be on the deuce. And there wasn't even games to really talk I about. Know, we talked about the FA Cup. You we deconstructed the problems <laughs> in English football, you fool. Oh, man. This was fun, though. I do always enjoy it. To you, I say... Take you later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 